again. This is Beck in Millhaven. Just saying, in Omaha, I'm Tom Becker. In St. Louis, I'm McGraw Millhaven. And uh, we uh, sit here basically every week. We get together and we just sort of talk whatever's on our mind. A couple of old buddies uh, trying to uh, figure out this crazy world that we live in. And uh, if you haven't already subscribed, like us, spread the word, please do. Um, you can also hear this podcast if you're in St. Louis. You can hear it every night, every Thursday night on the Big 550 uh, KTRS. So um, hold on a second. I got a, uh, I got a call today on the show from a caller who um, uh, wanted to ask me a question about the uh, this uh, podcast. Okay. He wanted to know uh, when it was on, and I told him it was on 11 o'clock on Thursday nights. And then he said, hey, who's the guy who sounds like Curly from the Three Stooges? <laughs> uh, he, 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 he was re- referring to you, by the way. <laughs> Why was I laughing at that? That wasn't funny. That was mean. That was hurtful. Oh. He, loved, he loved the podcast. He loved the podcast. He said, but the guy you do with it sounds like Curly from the Three Stooges. I, you know, I've never heard that one. I have heard I sound like a Pekingese in heat. I, I have heard that I sound like a wood a woodpecker in a blender. But I never heard that I sound like Curly from the Three Stooges. Yuck, yuck, yuck. Well, now, what's interesting is I said... I don't think he sounds like Curly from the Three Stooges. I said he looks like Curly from the Three Stooges. You know, you you could have you could have gone all day without having to let me know you said that. I didn't hear you say that. I was I listened a little bit today, but I didn't hear you say that. So you know, you wanted to make sure that I heard that you said that, just so that you would basically hurt my feelings. Um. Yes, and also because the guy listens to the podcast, I wanted to give him a shout out for listening to the podcast. That is very cool, though. Yeah, no, I, I know, but this, this, you know, that's the weird thing about this voice. When, when, when I started in radio, like in the seventies, um, you know, everybody, uh, all the program directors, and I, I mean, I couldn't get a job, you know, because all the announcers back then had the really deep voice and. Sounded stoned, and you know, there's another ten Led Zeppelin songs, you know, and so, <laughs> and so, you know, with this voice, you know, it's like, yeah, we, yeah, thanks, thanks for applying, but uh, you know, why don't you, why don't you get a job in uh, real estate, you know, or <laughs> go sell insurance, go, go, you know, find find yourself another career, kid. Uh, Radio is not for you. And then, as it turns out, uh, as the market changed and everything, uh, this voice wanted becoming my calling card, and as uh, as weird of a voice as it is. Uh, the, the voice will get recognized. I'll be, I'll be at a drive-through window at a fast food place, and I order my food, and they'll say, "Hey, are you Tom Becker?" Yeah, yeah. Don't spit in the food. No, you you used to be Tom Becker. Uh, I'm su- I'm surprised they didn't make you management with that voice. <laughs> okay, I know that's a slam. What is that supposed to mean? No, I'm just saying, right? You know, if they're like, "Well, look, if you can't be on the radio with that voice, why don't you be the management?" And so. You know, they usually, you know, take people who aren't, you know, who are deemed not good enough for the air and make them into management. Okay, a little brief history here. What, uh, so I I was a disc jockey, you know, back in the days when you played actual records, I was a disc jockey up until like from age 19 to 25. And then at 25, I got into advertising sales. So I did radio sales from 25 to 30. At 30, I became a a sales manager for a radio station. So I became management then. I, uh, I hated it, to be honest with you. I, I hated the, that management part. About the same time, I started doing stand-up comedy as a hobby, 
And then by like 31, 32, I wound up uh, uh, quitting the day job, going on the road to uh, tell jokes to a bunch of drunks and eat in Oklahoma. Uh, but uh, then I spent five years on the road doing that, which had, uh, you know, I was one of those comics that you see on comedy set for five minutes and then never hear from again. That was sort of my career. Um, uh, well, but hold on a second. Hold on. I'm surprised you didn't like management. You, you just couldn't like, you didn't like dealing with all the egomaniac, egomaniacal on-air staff? Well, uh, well, first of all, yeah. I mean, I actually liked dealing with the on-air staff. It was the sales staff I had a problem with. And when you're, you know, when you're the sales manager, your job is dependent on, I mean, you got to answer to the boss above, but it's dependent on how the people below you do. So, you know, it was like, I, I was in, I was in no man's land there, you know, and uh, it just wasn't for me. I mean, people that can make that work, God love them. God love them. It was not, it was not my strong suit. Hmm. Uh, now, now, on the other hand, I mean, look, if I, if I was, you know, I, I was also a program director and uh, as a program director, I liked that. I liked that because I was dealing with the on air. I was dealing with the creative end of it. I was able to do some stuff and I, I, I enjoyed that. But uh, the, um, the sales manager was not my cup of tea. You know what movie I watched recently, and I loved it even more recently than I did when I first saw it? The uh, the Howard Stern movie, Private Parts. I haven't seen that in years, but I love that movie. I love Howard Stern. Howard Stern, you know, that guy, that guy is a lesson in how to reinvent yourself. That guy is a lesson in keeping up to date with the new technology. That guy, that guy, you know, he's uh, been able to... Uh, been able to survive this long in a very tough industry and survive at the top level like that. I have nothing but respect for Howard Stern. Well, I, I mean, look, whatever he's doing now where he's interviewing celebrities, just sort of in a um, uh, like a Larry King-esque way, that's he's he's never been better. Um, just curious about, you know, he's just interviewing. I just see him interviewing all sorts of famous people. It's just interesting. It's just fun to watch. Um, but that movie... You know, it talks about, you know, it's the history of radio for the last, you know, 40 years, starting in the 70s and 80s and 90s and, you know, his trials and tribulations. But he so um, gets the stereotypical sales manager and general manager and and FM DJ and program director. I mean, it's just so funny because it's so true. Yeah, that's what makes it so funny. Well, that was that was the uh, the beauty of WKRP in Cincinnati, is that that was what radio was like back in that era. That was before your time, but you know that was when I was starting out, and uh, that's what radio was like back then. It, uh, it it's not like that so much now, but back then that's how it was, and it was uh, it's one of the reasons why it was such a uh, success, is because uh, it was so true. Yeah, but I mean that if you want to know what it's like to be in radio. I no better example than to watch private parts with Howard Stern and forget some of the salacious sex stuff. That's just, you know, Howard Stern being Howard Stern, I guess, at the time. But the pig vomit and the salespeople upset and then all of a sudden Pizza World comes in with an order. And it's it's, you know, the, the executives but in um, New York who who don't know how to handle him, uh, who hire him unheard. You know, they 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 never heard him, but they hire him. And, and then they have this nightmare on their hands. It's just, it's so wonderful. Well, no, it is, it is a great movie, but you say how radio is. I don't think radio is that way anymore. That's how radio was, but I don't think it's, I don't think it's that way anymore. I mean, it's become so corporate. 
Now, your situation is different because you work at a standalone AM in St. Louis that is locally owned that uh, does things a little bit differently. And I I use uh, what KTRS does. I, I talk about you guys all the time because I think you're doing it right. But I think that you take a look at what's happening in corporate uh, radio and corporate media in general, I mean, not just radio, but the same thing is true with newspaper and TV. You know, they uh, they've um, they've decimated the, the they've decimated the uh, uh, the uh, the art form. I mean, I I use this analogy. Let's say you own a pizza shop, right? And you're selling pizzas left and right. Man, business is great. And then you decide you say, you know what? I think we can sell more pizzas if we take eight uh, put on eight fewer pepperoni. We water down the sauce and use cheaper flour. We'll sell, you know, we'll, we'll, make, we'll make more money. Well, six months later, you wonder why nobody's buying the pizza anymore. You know, and I think that's what's happened to, to so much radio uh, in, the, in the corporate world. You know, it, it's, it's. Well, you, gotten, you're they've right. Gotten, they've gotten away from being involved in the community. They've gotten away from being innovative. They've gotten away from doing things that are, you know, are uh, creative and uh, basically just uh, go through the motions. Well, you're right, but they didn't do it because they were trying to sell more pizzas. They were doing it because they wanted to buy more radio stations because they thought they could corner the market. So they gobbled up all these radio stations and they were making enough money to make a lot of money, but they weren't making enough money to service the debt from buying these 300 radio stations. So they had to start cutting and cut some more. And then people are like, well, this isn't what we enjoyed. And so they go somewhere else. I guess yeah. your analogy, you know, that. But but corporate radio, what's interesting about corporate radio is they would rather cut services and people and, um, you know, everything. But they refuse to sell the radio stations. They're still holding on to the radio stations no, for, no, 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 for no, no, your no. life. No, no, no. It's not that they refuse. Is that there are no buyers. Wow. There are no buyers. I, I know of a company here as a standalone. It's, a, it's a basically a very small radio company here in Omaha that is doing things very local in that. It's actually a um, it's a it's a music station, but it's not that far off base from what you guys do in St. Louis. Um, and the guy told me, he says, we get calls all the time from people wanting to know if you want to buy stations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, now now, but, you know, the last 20 years, all they've done is buy radio stations. I mean, oh, Odyssey. Yeah. Odyssey. I mean, look, this this shows you how stupid corporate radio is. Um, So the old folks station here in town. Right. Um, They were CBS for a long, long time. The 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 Tiffany brand. Right. They were the Tiffany network. They were they were the 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 cream of the crop. CBS. They sell to this company called Intercom and Intercom decides in their infinite wisdom that they're going to change the name from CBS to Intercom to Odyssey, which no one's ever heard of, okay? And so now, when you go to a Cardinal game, they have the logo of the old folks station really small on the scoreboard, and they have the logo of Odyssey bigger and all over the stadium. And I sit and go to a baseball game, and I'm like, you know what? I would have paid this company to take down the old folks station logo and put up Odyssey, and they're doing it they're doing it on their own. It makes zero sense. It's like when HBO changed their name to Max. HBO is one of the most iconic names in the history of entertainment, and you've changed it to Max? I mean, the people running these things are just by a, I mean, unbelievably stupid. It makes no sense. 
Yeah, but at the same token, it's like, okay, if, I mean, as the market changes, you know, if you're going to change with it. Um, but what does know. Odyssey tell you? What Odyssey is seven random radio stations. Yeah, but, okay, but, but by your own definition, okay, you call, and I know you don't want me to mention it, so I won't mention the call letters, but you call the station that is an iconic, not only is it an iconic St. Louis station, an iconic station nationwide. Um, you know, it was. It, it was. It, was, it, was at one, it was at one time, okay? It was at one time. But what do you call it? You call it the old folks station. So if you are going to have if you're going to have it be the old folks station, you say, okay, well, how do we can, we can we rebrand this? Can we repurpose it? Can we turn this into something where it's not the old folks station, where it's a, a different name? Now, I'm not quite sure what Odyssey means, um, <laughs> you know. But uh, but I, I, uh, no, I under I understand the rebranding, but again, you why would would you change Coke to you know? Stevie's? I mean, it makes no sense. You have Coke. And if it was so iconic and it was so valuable, why change it? And we, we see this in St. Louis. I don't know about Omaha, but we see this a lot. Uh, we had Brown Shoe change their name. We had um, HBO change their name to Max. There's a couple of others where you know, the old folks station, you're like, what? I don't understand what, what marketing genius comes in and says, you know, this brand that you've built up over 100 years? This is so iconic. We think you should change the name to sort of show the 21st century. So you change it to a name no one's ever heard of. It makes no sense. Well, part of it probably is ego. You know, you got these the new owners come in and they say, you know, we want to we want to make this ours. We don't want to just take over the old guys. You know, we want to make this ours. And so they change the name. But you bought you bought HBO. I, hey. You bought HBO. And if somebody came in to me on the first day I owned HBO and said you should change it to Max, I would say, get out. Take give me your give me give me your security card. Don't ever darken my doorstep again. This is the dumbest idea in the world. HBO is now changed their name to Max, which it makes no sense. No, it makes zero sense. Well, part of the problem is, and this is not just in the broadcast industry or the media industry. I think it's a true in pretty much every industry, or at least in, in, in not maybe not in every industry, but in so many of the old um, traditional uh, iconic industries, you used to know who ran the car companies, right? I mean, you you knew, knew names like Leia Coker, John DeLorean, uh, you know, down the line here of people that were running the car companies. You knew who was in charge. You know, back in the days of broadcasting, you knew you know uh, the Sarnoffs of the world. You know, you knew who was in charge of you know, the networks and that nobody knows who's in charge. It's all, it's all, uh, you know, uh, you know, MBAs and lawyers. And this, this is true. And I think pretty much like almost every industry, except some of the high tech industries where, you know, that, you know, you know, that, uh, you know, like what, um, you know, what Steve jobs built, you know, what, and even, I guess it's probably even changing in those regards to some extent, you know, you know, about Elon Musk, you know, with Twitter, um, um, you know, or not Twitter, but more with, uh, you know, his cards there's, and stuff. There's you know? another, there's another one, Twitter. Everyone knows it as Twitter. Now we got to call it X and then say X formerly known as Twitter. What, what moronic you have Facebook and let's change it to meta. What, what that makes no sense to me. You, you companies would beg for the, the, the Twitter moniker because it's so 
pervasive and so uh, ubiquitous. It's everywhere. So as soon as it's everywhere, let's change it to X. Now, if you're trying to make sense out of, out of about 90% of the stuff that Elon Musk does, I think you're going to drive yourself. Well, and I, I get your point. crazier than you are right now. I get your point where the CEOs have sort of taken over the world and everyone thinks that a, uh, an Ivy League business degree is more valuable than everything else. And I, I get that. A lot of it's, you know, they got to worry about, you know, uh, accounting and Wall Street and, you know, all that stuff. And you have to keep the investors happy. And that's a whole other subculture. But getting away from the actual business, right? I mean, these guys don't know. These guys don't know radio. And you and I are not going to mention any names, but you and I know there are four people who, who you know, are still hanging on who claim to know radio. And the people who know radio either have gone or they won't give the next generation the, the, a chance to sort of redefine radio for the 21st century for the next for the next generation. I'll, we'll leave it on this before we take the break is that if you go to pretty much any media conference, radio, TV, whatever, you go to any media conference, there will be somebody on that platform talking about how you've got to be local to win. You've got to be local to win. And what do they do? They go back to their stations, they fire the host, and they put on syndicated shows. I know. I know. I know. know. Uh, I'm going to a convention next week in Nashville, and I'm speaking at a panel. And I told the guy, I'm like, I'm going to I'm going to rip the industry. And he said, you are more than welcome to do it. So that's exactly what I'm going to do. Well, we'll talk about that maybe next week. In the meantime, we got to take a quick break here. If you're listening on uh, the Big 550 KTRS, um, we'll be back in a moment. This is Beck in Millhaven just saying on the Big 550 KTRS. Even. Uh, I um, I saw something that really piqued my interest this past week, hmm. and that is that is the um, in Ireland, in Ireland uh, the schools are have all agreed that uh, got the parents all together and they made it so that the parents have agreed that their kids will not get a cell phone until they reach a certain age. What's so, the age? Uh, it's basically uh, the equivalent, uh, our equivalent here, I think, of like eighth or ninth grade. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, that uh, uh, they, they made it sort of that everybody got together and said, okay, now you can't have a, you can't have a phone until you reach this age, which makes all the sense in the world to me. We do this all the time with alcohol. We do this all the time with driving. We do this all the time with joining the military. Right? You have to be a certain age before the kids can do this sort of a thing, and yet we give a kid, uh, you know, a, a smartphone, you know, when they're six. Uh, no, that makes no sense to me whatsoever. I also understand the parents that don't want to fight with their kid over it because it's, uh, you know, yeah. well, Billy has one, you know. Uh, so you make it so that you make it basically the law so that um, uh, all you say was, like, you know what, I'd love to give you a phone, kid, but you got to wait until you're, you know, until you're 14 uh, before you can have one. Uh, you know, it's the law. You know, you can, you can pawn that off on the government. I like that idea. So I... Um... I have a three-year-old 
And before I had children, people would say, you don't know until you have a three-year-old. And I agree with some of that. You don't know until you have a three-year-old. And there are things, right, parents say to each other, pick your battles, right? Is it really that important? Pick your battles, right? Pick the important stuff and, and let the other stuff roll off. I've had this conversation with numerous people on the air and off the air. And this is a topic of conversation. And what I hear once in a while from parents who say, I can't take the phone away from my daughter or my son. You try shutting down their Instagram account. You try shutting down their Facebook account or whatever, right? And I look at them and I'm like, this is creating poison for your children. Yeah. You, 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 you would take away the, the, the rat poison from your child if they were playing under the sink, wouldn't you? Well, of course I would. Well, that's what you're giving them when you give them a phone. You're, you're giving them poison. And no greater example of um, how dangerous a cell phone is than the story that came out a couple of years ago with the executives in Silicon Valley, where these executives from Silicon Valley who were programming Instagram and Snapchat and TikTok and all of this stuff, right? They have contracts with their nannies that say, you are not allowed to bring a screen into the home. And if you do, you are fired immediately because these tech CEOs understand the damage that the screen is doing to children. So it's like the drug dealer saying, don't deal don't use your own drugs. These people are saying, don't allow my child to be exposed to what I'm making for the rest of the world. You know, the same thing is uh, true with a lot of people that are working with artificial intelligence. Uh, they're the ones that are speaking the loudest saying, hey, uh, yeah, we created this thing, but we think uh, there's going to be some problems. Uh, we need some sort of legislation to control this. I, I think that sometimes you do, you know, I mean, you got to you got to say, OK, Look, we as a society realize that this has got some inherent problems. Um, you know, we're going to try to limit uh, the use until you reach to your mind is at least somewhat formed that you'll be able to handle this a little bit better. I, I, I don't have a problem with that. I don't see that as a violation of First Amendment rights. I don't see that as a violation of parental rights. I, I see that as just, you know, basically helping the parents do their job better. By saying, look, don't give your kid a phone until they reach, you know, a decent age. I don't understand these parents who are all up in arms over a book that's in a library on the back shelf and they're up in arms and they want to join the school board to make sure that there's no smut in the library. And then you hand these kids a phone and they, they have the, everything exposed to them in their pockets. I, it seems like we're, we're we're misguided in our angst, right? You you hand a kid a phone. This is a story that came out the other day, something like 12, 98%, 78%, some insane number of children who have been exposed to pornography because of their phones. They're growing up thinking pornography is normal because it's on their phones all day long. That's what we should be petrified over not some book teaching about slavery in a library somewhere. Yeah, you know, I mean, you, you mentioned uh, pornography and all that. I mean, used to be, you know, you had to go sneak around, you know, to find, you know, if you had an uncle or a 
You know, my my dad never had my dad had my dad had one Playboy magazine, uh, because he he bought it for the Johnny Carson interview. <laughs> I, it's, yeah, this is this is how I remember this, right? And uh, so we, uh, I I knew where we hit it, you know. So I when I could, I would I would sneak up to grab the magazine and I you know I would read it and all that. But you had to make an effort for it. Now, now, I mean, and by the way, it was rather relatively harmless, you know, naked women sort of stuff, as opposed to, you know, the the, the crap that these kids now have at their fingertips on their phone that make it just seem like it's all that normal. No, you think about, right, um, you think about um, Playboy, right? That was so terrible. Now you look at what's out there for these kids, and it's like night and day. My first Playboy, let's see, I was in third grade, and we were getting dropped off at the bus station. And one of the other kids' older brother had a Playboy. And we're getting off the bus at a bus stop, and he said, my brother hid a Playboy in the bushes. Do you want to go look at it? And I said, sure. And I had absolutely no idea what he was talking about. <laughs> so I, we, we got off the bus, and instead of walking straight home, I walked, you know, the block the other way, and in the bushes was this magazine with this Playboy. And I opened it up, and I saw these naked women, and I was so, uh, I felt so guilty or so, um, uh, I don't know, what's the word I'm looking for, so um, dirty or so whatever, right, that I ran home, and I just spilled the beans. I felt so guilty. I ran home, and I told my mother that this boy showed me this, this pictures of these naked women, and I didn't understand, and I mean, it really traumatized me still to this day, even um, <laughs> joking, joking around. But I mean, right. So I didn't see one again until I was in college or whatever. Um, but I mean, think about that on a scale today. Kids can go on their phone and look at the most, you know, vile things possible. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, and again, that and also, normalize that it. Also and normalize goes, it. It also goes back to the whole point about, you know, taking away the, the phone from the kids. And again, look. I understand parents say I want to raise the kid I want to, the way I want to raise the kid, but I don't think I don't think uh, denying them to have access to uh, a smartphone and limiting their screen time like that. I think that's I think that's uh, healthy for everybody, healthier for everybody to do that. So I've got no problem. I've got no. Yeah, but it's also, I mean, it's also easier sort of said than done. It's got, I mean, I get it, but the schools say we're sending our homework, you know, on an email. Or text me if you have any questions. Or I mean, it's, it's te te technology is so pervasive. Schools are embracing it, but yeah. it is interesting how the inner city schools are clamoring for more screens, and the really rich schools are saying, "Take the screens out of our out of our out of our um, out of our schools." It's an interesting dichotomy. Yeah, yeah, and you know what? Well, the whole thing is moving so fast, and the whole thing is. Uh... Still relatively new when you think about it in the in the whole um, realm of uh, the history of the world. Yeah. Uh, we're still trying to uh, figure out the pluses and the minuses of it because you know all of this stuff, whether it's social media, your cell phones, whatever, they're tools, and just like a just like a hammer, it can be used to build or destroy. So what do you do with it? And that's the question that 
so many of us deal with on a regular basis. I admit, I'm I'm too addicted to my cell phone. I'm too addicted to my smartphone. I um, I'm not I'm not proud of it. I'm not happy with it. But uh, it's uh, too much a part of my life. No, it's. I'm, I think we're all guilty of it. We're, so all, just, we're all guilty of it. So, let's right. take. Yeah, let's take another quick break here, real quick, and then we'll return one more time with Beck and Millhaven just saying on the mid five fifty, KTRS. show today uh they're at uh, uh what uh, ktrs.com listen to your show online today and i heard you talking about going to a, are you going to a bob dylan concert i would really like to go to a bob dylan concert he's coming to town october 4th here in town and i can't get anybody to go with me <laughs> nobody wants to go maybe maybe they've been to a bob dylan concert in the past i've been twice the second time i walked out um really you know here's the thing I'm glad I went to say that I saw Bob Dylan. I saw the iconic Bob Dylan in concert. But Dylan now just does whatever the hell he wants to do. And and he'll be playing a song, and you're not recognizing the song at all, right? Then like three-quarters of the way in, and go like, oh, hell, that's Tangled Up in Blue, you know? <laughs> you know, or, or or listen to a song, you know, and, and, and it's over with, and uh, you have no idea what it was. The person you're with says, you know what? I I think that song was like a Rolling Stone, but I'm not sure. Because he, he just does what he wants to do. And it's not it's not even like, you know, like, well, his voice is just, you know, mumbling and all that. It's like the the, the melodies are different, the this tempo is different. It's just I don't know. But I do think I do think that if you have a chance to see him, you should see him just to say that you have, but then you'll leave going, okay. Uh, been there, done that. Don't need to do that again. Well, I, I, I don't. I, I have a weird thing with concerts, in that I don't. I've been to concerts, I've enjoyed myself at concerts, but I don't understand. I'm paying three hundred dollars to listen to this guy play a version of a song I can play on my phone for free. So I kind of don't get it. Um, and I'm spending a lot of money for this guy to play a song that I like on my phone, but I don't recognize in person. Again, doesn't make a whole lot of sense. So I, I, I don't, I mean, I've been to Springsteen. Um, I've been to Twisted Sister. Those are the two biggies. Um, but I mean, I, I'd, I'd much rather sit and listen. Wait, wait. <laughs> Twisted Sister, when did Twisted Sister become a biggie? Oh, I saw Twisted Sister back in the eighties, like eighty-five, when they when they really were big at their zenith. Um, no, but I mean, you know, I I I don't I I I I like the music I like. I mean, I, I've seen Billy Joel in concert. I'd go see Billy Joel in concert, you know, anywhere. But outside of you know two or three biggies, I I, I don't really care to see him in concert. I'd much rather listen to it on my phone or on my record player or something. You, you know, I um I understand that. It's not a matter of fact, although you say that I'm going to uh I'm going to Denver this weekend. I'm going to go see Brandy Carlisle at Red Rocks. Um, because uh, uh, 
were were you were you, yeah were you here yeah you were here back when uh uh Carolyn was an intern for us right yeah I mean, yeah. yeah you know she's now Brandy Carlisle's manager yeah and so uh, I'm going to go to Red Rocks to see Brandy Carlisle now uh part of that is because I'm going to go see with my friend but part of it is also to go see a concert at Red Rocks Red Rocks is just such an incredible place to see a show um but overall yeah if it's got to be somebody really special before I will go to uh, deal with the crowds anymore. Dave Chappelle is coming to town. Oh, I go see him. Uh, no, but he's playing in an arena. I, I go uh, see him. I go see him in a the theater. You know, I would go see him in a the theater, but I'm not going to go see him in, in an arena. You well, know, the other thing, the other thing too about him is he makes you put your phone in a in a lock in a Ziploc bag. Yeah, I don't mind that. I mean, I understand why. Yeah. Yeah. So you don't have a problem putting your phone in a Ziploc bag and then getting the key on the way out the door. I did that. I did that when I saw Louis C.K. But he, 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 but he was playing. He was playing uh, in a comedy club. Right. He was working on material in a comedy club, and so I did that. You know, when uh, when I went to see Louis C.K. Yeah, but I would not go see Louis C.K. in a in an arena. I would not do that because because just, because it's just what it's just not intimate. It's just not. Yeah, it's just it's just too much. Yeah, I, I you know, because you end up watching you end up watching it on the screen. You end up watching the the, no, the show on, on 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 the screen, and it's like I can go home and watch it on Netflix, and uh, you know save a lot of money, and uh, enjoy it just as much. Right. Um, but no, uh, I, I don't. I don't. I can't argue with you on that. Yeah. I mean, that's that's um, you know, I I I could see that, and I'd you know come to think of it, um, it might be a too big of a venue, right? Um, uh. uh Dave Chappelle in a comedy club would be killer. Oh, right. Yeah. That sort of intimate sort of individual sort of. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah no, I would pay, I would pay much more for a ticket to see him in a, in a comedy club, to see him in a, in a, you know, re, you know, decent sized theater than I would ever pay to see him in an arena. Yeah. Attention. Yeah. You say that because when I go to New York, you know, you, you, you go to New York and you do it right. I love to go to the comedy clubs and sit down and sort of see who shows up. And if you get a famous comic who's, you know, working on material, that's just fun to see him sort of work on material. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Which I, I did that with uh, J.B. Smoove. <laughs> we sat down one day and J they're like, oh, we got a little change of plans. J.B. Smoove is, is going to join us. So, J you, know, I, you know who he is, right? I love him. I think he's great. Yeah. yeah, he was. And he wasn't very funny, but he was he was more funny just sort of talking about how hard it is to be a comic. And he just sort of got up and, you know, told a couple jokes and then told a couple stories and was kind of riffing. And it was really very enjoyable at two o'clock in the morning at Catch a Rising Star. He, his uh, his delivery is 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 just so unique. That's what I love about about him. His delivery is so unique. While we're talking about entertainers, while we're talking about entertainers, let's take a moment here now to talk about the passing of Jimmy Buffett. Since last week, Jimmy Buffett passed away. Um I got I, I did I did get to see Jimmy in concert. So he was on it was on my bucket list and I get it uh didn't have a chance to see him in concert, which was a, an incredible show, a great experience. Um I didn't realize though, I guess the impact that he had on so many people. I mean, I knew that he was popular, I knew that he was successful, I knew all of that stuff, but boy, you see all the the stuff that's on uh uh, you know, that came on social media, all the people that were just devastated by his passing. 
you know, I didn't know that he and Paul McCartney were such close friends. Um, you know, just the, the guy just lived an incredible life. I didn't know he was such good friends with Paul McCartney. Yeah, yeah, McCartney came by the house uh, a week or two before he died and uh, serenaded him, and uh, yeah, he he died of skin cancer. Right? Is that is that because he wasn't taking care of himself in in uh, Margaritaville? Uh, pretty much, yeah. You know, I mean, he probably wasn't using a strong enough SPF. I know? I uh, I heard where he said the reason why I opened up Margaritaville in. Key West was, was because I always wanted someplace to play. Yeah. Oh, my, well, by, by the way, he's a guy, he's a guy that uh, took, you know, that one song and that whole image and turned it into a brand and turned it into a dynasty. I mean, what they say he had, a, you know, he was a billionaire when he died. Jeez. All know? because, I mean, I, Jimmy, uh, Jimmy dragged me to a Jimmy Buffett concert years and years and years ago. Again, you know, I was fine. It was, you know, it was fine. I, I enjoyed it. I, I knew some of the songs. I didn't know most of the songs. Um, I wasn't going to show up in a Hawaiian shirt and a parrot head. But, you know, it was fine. I enjoyed it. I don't know if I, know if I would have gone again. But, you know, again, I don't mind Cheeseburger in Paradise or that one or Margaritaville. But, you know, I wish him well. And sorry to see he died. Oh, man, no. Uh, when you, if you got into like, my early days in radio, I worked at a country station, and we could get away with playing Jimmy Buffett songs. So in between, in between the Loretta Lynn and the Narville Feltz uh, records, I could play a Jimmy Buffett song from time to time. And uh, the lyrics of his stuff, um, some of them, I mean, really, really touched me. Really, really spoke to me. Um, really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, the guy, the guy was. Uh, he was he was a strong philosopher. You know, I mean, he he was obviously, you know, a a very talented man. Obviously, a great entertainer. He was not a great singer. He was not a uh, um, you know the uh, the best uh, musician in the world, but he was a, just a great entertainer that made you feel good. And um, and his lyrics of some of the songs were just incredibly um, inspirational. Well, I mean, you you can't argue with the guy's success. I mean, you know, I love these people. He wasn't Mozart. Well, all right. No, there hasn't been Mozart since Mozart. So I don't know what people are complaining about. But here's the interesting thing. And this this I've always found is as somebody that's been involved, you know, on the peripheries of the entertainment industry um, pretty much my entire life. There are so many other very good, talented musicians out there, good, talented comedians out there. So many others that are just, you know, on the verge of making it. Or maybe they do have a moment or two where they shine and then just fall off the face of the earth. How, why is that? And then others are able to just go and have a career that lasts them their entire life and, you know, grow. And, you know, I mean, there's gotta be, there's gotta be, you know, hundreds of Jimmy Buffett's in, uh, in Florida and Key West and South Carolina, you know, hundreds of them play in the clubs Playing the bars, and yet he's the one that made it. It, it's yeah. just, it's, uh, that always that always fascinates me on who does and who doesn't make it. Because well, that, that's all marketing, and you know, moment also time, luck. and it's well, also like right place, right time. Luck. Yeah, right. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, because yeah. you know, when I was doing stand up comedy, I worked with some comics that were every bit as good as you know the the big names that you would know, and uh, yet you know you'd never hear of these guys. Right. 
you know. Well, um, you know, you don't know what happened. Maybe they flamed out. Maybe they quit. Maybe they, you know, got off the yeah. road. You know. It's, you, uh, you you taught you you told me a great line once. Uh, I don't know you. Uh, this is three or four times I've said you've told me something, and then you say I've never said that. But you once told me that uh, a lot of people quit the day before their big break. I did say that, but I stole that from somebody, and I can't remember who I stole that from. Hmm. Right, that's but, such uh, a great. It's such a great line, right? They they quit the day before their big break, so they yeah. never knew their big break was the next day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and that's and that's uh, what keeps a lot of these guys going. You know, yeah. for a lot of quite honestly, it's. One of the things that has kept me going and uh, broadcasting all these years, you know, and that attitude of like, okay, you know, I mean, I've had a pretty decent career, but at the same time, it's like, you know, okay, you know, is there, is this going to be the one that takes me to the next level? Because, you know, you know, I'm competitive, you're competitive. You want to, you want to, you know, uh, see how far you can take this, how big it gets. Uh, Bob Eubanks, the famed host of the Newlywood Game, who I believe also was the producer for the Beatles in the Hollywood Bowl. Yeah, he was. Told me a story that I'll never forget. He told me that he said, you don't know this, but you have the best life possible. I said, what are you talking about? He goes, a local radio guy has the best possible world. He says, I've been on top and I've been on the bottom and I've been everywhere in between. And he said, when you want to be famous and you want to get a table at a restaurant or tickets to something, you can do it. And then he says, and when you want to be, um, you know, un- um, unrecognizable and go be and do something and no one knows who you are, you can do it. He says a local minor celebrity is the best gig in the world. Glenn Beck told me a similar thing. Yeah. Yeah. Because, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, right? I mean, there's, there's, so here's the guys, you know, and then you're like, great, Glenn Beck, you're sitting on a mound of cash and you're telling me I got a better life. <laughs> but you know what? But that's it though. You know, okay. So, so Bob, we're name dropping now. Um, so Bob Newhart, um, I interviewed him uh, years ago now, God, maybe 25 years ago or so. I interviewed him and it was over the phone and I started the conversation by saying, well, you can't get tickets because he's sold out. But this Saturday, Bob Newhart and, and Newhart goes, we're sold out? We're sold out? I go, well, yeah, of course you're sold out. You're Bob Newhart. And he goes, well, you never know. And it is dawn on me. It's like, no matter what level you're at, you know, I mean, you would think you would think that Bob Newhart had the world by, and, you know, and I don't think he was unhappy or anything. But at the same time, he still had those insecurities of, you know, did we sell out? Oh, we get, people people are coming? Okay, good. You know, and you would think that a guy like that wouldn't have those same insecurities. But, you know, but it's something that drives the, the, uh, the personality, the entertainer. It's something that drives people like that to try to succeed, I guess, are those insecurities. Yeah, I love it. All right. Yeah, so. All, All right, right, I think we're out of time here, right? Oh, we're out of time. But this has been fun. This has been fun, as always. Uh, like I said at the very beginning, like, subscribe, uh, tell your friends, join us. Every Thursday, a new one comes out online. And, of course, uh, Thursday nights on KTRS. Until next time. Thank I'm- you for your time. So long, everybody. You did let me say I'm Tom Becker. And I was going to let you say you're in the No, no, you're, you're Curly from the Three Stooges. <laughs> y'all so long everybody
Huda Media Production.